are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Argo. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here this week with Christian Merzanski. It's Mr. Harkins. <laughs> and with an Argo tagline, I think I can guess what it is, Kelly Wan. Argo, fuck myself. Thank you. I, I exactly knew that's what it was going to be. I wrote Wait, in I this said, envelope here. Yes? Go on. Well, I was going to say, I said myself. Did you write that or yourself? No, I actually just wrote yourself, but I did put that in a sealed envelope, and I'm opening it now. And sure enough, that is what I wrote. I'm showing the viewers right now. They can see that that was my prediction. Kelly Wand, you did well. That's I can't hear the sound effect. It sounded pretty authentic. Just, I'm an idiot. Uh, before we spoil Argo, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. If you haven't seen it, we don't want to spoil it. But before we spoil it, <laughs> what? what you, wait. Yes. Never mind. I just was trying to follow all that. Well, before we spoil it, I want Dingus to tell us a little bit about what Argo is without giving anything away in case you haven't seen it. Dingus, tell us a little bit about this Argo thing without spoiling any plot points. All right. Well, this week we saw Argo, mm. a 2012 American historical drama thriller true story movie about a Canadian-American extraction operation. Uh, uh, dirty. Or dental. Um, it was directed by Ben Affleck and written by Chris Terrio based on a 2007 article in Wired magazine by Joshua Behrman. Laura Kennedy did the casting, and the movie stars Ben Affleck, Scott McNary, Christopher Denham, Carrie Bechet, and Clea Duvall. Kelly Wand, any, uh, any sort of like vocal commentary on any of the cast members? Like maybe a trilling noise or anything? Which one was the Julianne Moore chick? Carrie Bechet. From um, Red State. We saw her in Red State. Oh, Kelly. yes. Very All right, there you go. I, I just don't know her name. Well, now you do. I know <laughs> other parts of her, but not her name. <laughs> uh, all right, Dingus, go ahead. What uh, rated R? Argo is rated R for language mm. and some violent images. Mm-hmm. It's not called PG thirteen, girl. <laughs> <laughs> the silence soothes. Uh, so Argo. Um, Wait. Yes. Okay. Yes, you, you, you want me to predict how much or something? I guess, because I put it in a sealed envelope, too, so... Uh, well, only if you can... Let, let's hear you opening the envelope to make sure there's no shenanigans here. Very good. Kelly Wan, what does your envelope say? What did Argo open at, and how much money did it make on its opening weekend? It just says... <laughs> He's opening it now before... Right it says, shut up and let Tom talk. <laughs> <laughs> Was I well, right? I'm a little disappointed, though. I'd, I'd rather not talk because uh, Argo. I, maybe this is a spoiler, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I think it's a safe assumption that the three of us pretty much appreciated a lot about Argo. Um, unfortunately, it came in number two this weekend behind uh, a movie called Taken Two, which I also saw this weekend, and which is borderline i mean the, the direction and the, the editing even the, the the performances that so much about taken two is so incredibly inept it is a, it is an absolutely lazy awful dull rote paycheck movie and i cannot believe that taken two is number one and it's making so much money it's it's an upwards i think now of, of 
fifty million. I think it's like right around sixty million dollars. Um, this thing is doing hugely well. And it's really annoying that it beat Argo at the box office this week. And I think we can agree that Argo's pretty smart. And here is this dirt dumb sequel, uh, taken to number one this weekend with uh, twenty two point five million. Argo's number two with uh, twenty million. Can I, I didn't want- see it, but I just want to say that it makes it seems like it makes the Liam Neeson character seem like a fucking idiot if he gets his family taken again. Like well, the, the twist is, I don't mind, I'm going to tell you some things about Taken 2, Kelly Wan, that might not have the intended effect of making you not want to see it. I've done that part. <laughs> yeah. Maggie Grace. Maggie yeah. Grace, by the way, uh, so the, the twist this time is that he gets kidnapped. Oh. And he's got, what? when he gets kidnapped, he has a little sock cell phone. That he pulls out and he calls, he calls his daughter and he gives her very explicit instructions about what to do to rescue him. Like that's the twist this time. Uh, and there's even a scene like he's basically just like telling people what to do. It, Taken Two is Liam Neeson instructing people on what to do, and it's often very complicated stuff. At one point, to keep her from being kidnapped, he gives Famke Jansen these really elaborate directions. For how to get to a hotel, and I just remember listening to that. It's during an action sequence too. He's on her left this alley. It's totally like that, Kelly Wand, and he's, he's uh, all on her at once. And she she tries, but she fails and gets kidnapped. She's anyway. not a professional. He's the she's professional. She doesn't have that set of specific skills exactly. But so Liam Neeson has been kidnapped. And the captors have tied him up in a room, and he gets access to his little sock phone, and he calls Maggie Grace. And, and he, he basically wants her to get out of the country, but she's like, no, Dad, I'm going to help you. And he's like, okay, here's what we do. <laughs> I have... how, how many years have passed, by the way? conversation? It's very cool, because the premise, it opens with, and this is kind of, uh, it, the, the premise is that all the henchmen that he killed in the first movie... Our friends uh, of... Their dad, and... Basically, their dad and their buddies want revenge. Versus his wife and daughter. Everyone's families meet the Takens. Right, it's exactly like that. And opens with a funeral for all the henchmen from Taken 1. <laughs> they all have one funeral. <laughs> they do. It, it's seriously like that. It's, it's, it's a, like a... It's a yeah, you're making you want to see it. You're right. Yeah, you're making so, it okay, so he's got his little so- phone in his sock, and he calls Maggie Grace. And he's like, okay, if you're going to help me, here's what I need you to do. And he instructs her to go into his hotel room where he was staying and get his uh, suitcase of like ass kicking equipment and he's got silver suitcase it's got like a bulletproof vest and it's got maps and it's got grenades and guns and knives security he was on vacation though too wasn't he so why would he he was working he was working and then his family was going to come out after his work to enjoy a vacation with him so all of his work stuff got got put in the suitcase of ass kicking Uh, so in order to figure out where he is being held because he was he was carried kidnapped and carried there with a bag over his head and we see him counting things like the distance they drive and how many turns he makes and when he hears something at the harbor when he hears birds or something he, he's he's registering all this stuff as he's being driven to the place where he's going to be held so he's talking on his sock phone to maggie grace and he's like okay go to my suitcase of ass kicking stuff and get out hand grenades <laughs> and at various intervals i'm going to tell you to chuck the hand grenade and this is all in Istanbul. This is all in downtown, crowded <laughs> Istanbul. He's like, at various intervals, I'm going to tell you to chuck a hand grenade, and then I'm going to listen for the sound. I'm going to count and wait until I hear the sound of it where I am. And then he tells her, what you do is get a shoelace from one of my shoes, yeah. tie it to a pen, <laughs> 
the other end of the shoelace, measure uh, out the distance, and then draw a circle on the map. And what? then as her drawing what circles... map? He didn't mention a map. No, he told her to get the map from his ass kicking. All right, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. And the shoelace from his shoe and the pin, which I think was in the ass-kicking shoelace thing, uh, in the ass-kicking suitcase. So he has her doing this geometry puzzle, running around Istanbul, chucking <laughs> grenades, and he's counting off how long it takes him to hear them. Teamwork. Teamwork and geometry. And d- genetics, because she shares his genes, so they're communicating like through... Through a cell phone. Yeah. yeah. She has one in her sock, too. No, she she has her own cell phone. It's an iPhone. Raw phone. She has a regular iPhone. Yeah. Uh, wow. So there you go. So it that number one movie this past week. Wait, who dies? <laughs> nobody. Nobody. Come on, seriously. I know. That's what. See, that's why I didn't want to say. I could smell from the preview that no one died in it. Here, Except let me, more Hitchman. Let me give other. you this quiz. So the main villain. He's a character actor you've seen in other movies. He plays yeah. like Russian. He's he's got a very fatherly Here. look with the shock of white hair and white beard and. Um, so at the very end, Liam Neeson kills all the dudes, and he comes to the, the guy who's the father of the Albanian clan, and he's holding a gun at him, and he says, okay, look, here's the deal. If you stop hunting me down, I'm going to let you live, and you can live the rest of your life out with your remaining sons, so let's just call it quits, because I'm tired of this. And Liam Neeson even says that. I will give you, if you give me your word, I'm going to throw this gun aside and walk away. And so the evil Russian Albanian guy says, I give you my word. And so Liam Neeson's like, cool. And he throws the gun down, and he turns around and walks away. And the evil Russian guy reaches down, picks up the gun, holds it at Liam Neeson, pulls the trigger, click. Click. Liam Neeson turns around, shows him that he has the bullet in his hand, and then he kills him. So even what? Just throwing the bullet at him? No, he he twists his neck. He fatally, he does that Uh, fatal neck twist thing. Yep. Wait, the bullet didn't mean shit. Well, it wasn't in the gun. Oh, well, yeah, but you could have just held up air and, like, this is what's in your chamber. Nothing. Well, really the people who go see Taken 2 aren't really that bright. They needed They're to impressed re- by a title like Taken 2. Like, <laughs> right. hey, what happens? I wonder. If it had been 3D, 3D, he would have thrown the bullet at the screen. Ah, yes. So it's a kidnapping franchise. I just want to understand it. The, mm-hmm. This is what the public and Mitt Romney. Got it. Yep. And it's I number one nothing. in America, making lots of money. Uh, instead of Argo. I didn't even know it was out. So, uh, Taken 2, number one at the box office. Number two at the box office, Argo, which made $20 million. It has it, it is at 86 on Metacritic, which gauges the average rating from reviews that use ratings. Rotten Tomatoes, Argo is at 94%. 94% of all reviews of Argo, thumbs up. So there we go. There's our math segment. Kelly Wong, I want... Yes? What's, I didn't, like, we have two numbers, and then what do we do with them? Uh, do with it what you will. <laughs> it's a six percent. The difference is like the the result, right? Like there's a parallax between one and the other of like seven or something. What were they? Eighty-six, ninety-four, four, eight. Okay, so eight is good. Did we win? What happens? Why do we uh, Why do we cite these numbers and then we just go, all right, you're welcome, and then move on? Because otherwise, I'm just sitting around waiting for you to finish the synopsis before I get to play. That's okay, one. sorry. <laughs> uh, I care about the numbers. I like knowing how things are critically received and how the business yeah. does. I mean, it, it matters to me whether good movies succeed or bad ones do. I mean, I find this fascinating. I live in L.A. Unlike you, Kelly Wand, I'm, I'm a part of this culture. You people out in Nova Scotia, wherever you are, uh, you may not relate to this like Dingus and I do, but being here in L.A., I care about the critical and commercial reception of movies. So It was the right. number one movie in Canada, so suck it. Argo was? Yeah, so fuck you. 
Oh. And and Adsap and Ben Affleck's uh, didn't put the Canadian guy in it enough. So well, I'm sure we'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah well, one of the things that I look forward to hearing Tom talk about this because as I'm writing up my notes and my review, I, I get really curious about. I wonder what the numbers are in this. I wonder what most reviewers thought about it. And I never peek at those numbers at all until we do this. And so it's always kind of a reveal to find out. Well, gee, am I which am I totally off base here, or am I with everybody else? I, I really look forward to this. Yeah, I, I also think Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood, and people who write about movies love. And they never movies, make money. Love movies about making movies. Uh, I think Argo will do fine. We'll, we'll see. But historically, the Hollywood movies don't seem to be hits. Like The Player was a critical hit, but it didn't make any money, did it? Uh, I don't know. And even then, it was probably the exception. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, so, Kelly Wand, why don't you uh, – oh, real quick, I want to say, uh, going through the lobby to see uh, Taken 2 and Argo, I noticed there's some new movie out where Denzel plays a Nazi. Denzel Washington's in a Nazi uniform. And I walked <laughs> over to see, what the heck is that? And it's like, oh, he's in a pilot's uniform. <laughs> Jeez, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> what? It did look – if you look at it from a distance, he's wearing the hat, and it's got like an eagle on it. Um, like, what is this? Well, I can, I can picture it in my head, but I never would have thought that. Now forever I'm going to think, oh, there's the Denzel Flight of the Eagle Nazi Well, I movie. also don't think that they had many uh, <laughs> Negro Nazis. Like, I don't think that was a very – That's racist. In Germany. Uh, the it was a very <laughs> heroic uh, squad of the werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> George Lucas is going to make a movie about it. But anyway. uh, there was also a poster of a very attractive, like twenty-something woman brushing her teeth, uh, and over the the picture of this beautiful woman, it said, "This is 40. And I w- walked huh. over and looked at it. I was like, "Oh, that's Leslie Mann, uh, who does not look. I mean, she she is forty, but she she's a beautiful woman." And uh, I was like, "Wow, if that's forty Sure, is the new twenty. I guess that was. She looks awesome. Uh, yeah, but no, most people don't look that good. So. This is forty parentheses in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, this is forty if you're really hot and and yeah. Okay. Exactly. Another number that means so much that we can now think about and analyze. Well, Kelly, one, let's move on to some pros. And why don't you give us a blow-by-blow breakdown of the events of Argo? I don't know what you would call it if you were to do a such thing. Uh, like an oh, you need Ar- Argsis. Argsis, yes, rock and roll. <laughs> what were you going to say? What was I going to say about what? What were you going to call it? I cut you off. Oh, an Argo recounting of the plot. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> yep. nothing, nothing nearly as clever as Argsis. Hmm. Hold that thought. <clears throat> Argsis. Francis McDormand plays a pregnant sheriff, and William H. Macy plays a used car salesman who says real good then every few seconds in this high-octane, hilariously snow-covered bullets and slapstick farce from the same brothers who brought us Crime Wave. I see what oh. you did there, Kelly Wand. Oh, wait, it's Argo. <laughs> little fun. JK. Argsis. Some comic book doodles tell me the history of Persia. Everything went great for 1,200 years. Then America found out they had oil. Millions of Iranians died in the ensuing 30 years of struggle before taking a couple dozen white people hostage. Six of, the, six of those white people skipped out on the rest of their colleagues through the back door and made a Canadian guy harbor them at his house, where they soon grew bored and wanted to leave. This is the courageous story of their trip to the airport, posing as Hollywood fuckwads. 
The place, the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, the time, uh, the historic date when the hostages were taken. A crowd of angry Shiites burns effigies of American flags and chisels painstaking likenesses of Mount Rushmore and then breaks them with sledgehammers. And then they cheer, and then they smash at the embassy gates with battering rams while guys with 70s hair watch through the window and drink coffee. One's all, stupid Iranians wanting to try their dictator for crimes instead of letting us do it. Good thing they don't yet have crowbar tech, huh, Sheldon? Sheldon's all, yeah, I guess. Uh, what's our job again, looking out this window? Coffee guy taps the window with this coffee mug and goes, Don't worry, this glass is bulletproof. They need a brook to get through this shit. But first they'd have to hop the gate, and that'd be pretty challenging without a ladder, methinks. They'd have to either <laughs> climb it or get on each other's shoulders. He shakes his head. We gave them free copies of Rudyard Kipling's autograph. What more do these barbarians want? Sheldon's all, Oh, Stan, looks like they figured out the gate's unlocked. What do we do? Coffee guy's all, Shred ten million documents, quick. Sheldon's all, uh, they're running at our building with AKs and torches, and the shredders will take like 10 minutes to warm up. But okay, are you going to help? Coffee guy's all, yeah, totally. I'm just going to check the back door really quick. You keep shredding those documents. Show me you mean business. Good luck, USA. Angry Iranians storm the parapet, screaming and gibbering with hatred for American blood. The U.S. Army guy in charge of the three other guys who comprise the entirety of the embassy security forces is all, okay, man, you stay here and look bewildered. I'm going to go reason with them. They're all, seriously, Sarge? Uh, Captain told us to hold. Uh, we just shot tear gas at him. They might be a little pissed off. Plus, you'll be out there where the tear gas is, so you won't be able to talk, and they won't be able to hear you. Sarge is all, I'm an American, damn it. That's an order. Don't worry, I was trained for this. He opens the door and shuts it. Two seconds later, he's pounding on the door again. <laughs> hey, guys, uh, let me back in. I think they put a blindfold on me. I can't see shit. He pees his pants. Guys, come on, open the door. I really got to pee. I mean, I just did, but I'll have to go again soon, probably. They open it. Iranians storm in and savagely don't kill anybody. Meanwhile, Coffee Guy, Julianne Moore, and four others are in the alley out back, tying their underwear to their faces so they look like burkas, kind of. Coffee Guy tries to drink his coffee through the skid mark. Or as it's known today throughout the region, coffee boarding. Julianne Morsall, okay, Stan, where are we going, and how come they didn't have any rioters at the back entrance? Coffee guy's all, don't worry, I know a Canadian. Better yet, he conveniently lives all the way across town from the airport. He'll put us up, and his maid's not too bad either. <laughs> Julianne Morsall, awesome, although I'm your wife, I think. But he's all, no time for that, let's go! <laughs> <laughs> How's the microphone? As opposed to the text. No time for that. Let's go. Okay. Oh, 79 days pass. The 60 hostages held captive in the embassy are subjected to daily torture, starvation, and fake firing squads, while their six companions hang out in the Canadian's mansion with maid service and listen to records. It's a dark time. In the U.S., everyone leaves, all the stores close, and dreary wind blows for 79 days. Meanwhile, Ben Affleck sleeping in a bed. A phone rings, so he goes to work, where Brian Cranston as Richard Crenna is chairing this meeting. He's all, yeah, so our hostages are still in Iran, huh, guys? Maybe we should have had this meeting earlier. The dumb agent saw, uh, why don't we get them out using uh, helicopters or something? Duh. <laughs> Everyone saw, uh, airwolf. Uh. One guy saw, we could just wait till Reagan's elected and they'll just let him go anyway. Everyone saw, uh, Phil Collins' video. Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> the set the hero up with a zinger guy is all, hey, why don't we something something bicycles, duh. <laughs> ben Affleck's all, yeah, you could just make Gatorade out of training wheels and be bored, er. The old man boss is all, who is this brash upstart? I like the cut of his milk toast jib. Ben Affleck's all, my name's Ben Affleck. I'm like a 70s version of my Sum of All Fears character, in which I failed to prevent Baltimore from getting nuked. <laughs> the boss is all, if you have an unorthodox but ingenious plan to bring these Americans home, son, I sure would like to hear it. Ben Affleck's all, uh, just said it, the Gatorade thing. What are y'all looking at me for? You know what? Fuck you guys. You're meeting stupid. The lunch whistle blows. Everybody sighs. The meeting breaks up. Ben Affleck yawns and goes home and calls his kid. Hey, sport, you do your homework? The kid's all, it was easy, but no. Watching Battle for Planet of the Apes. Ben Affleck's all, eh, battle's the weak one. God, I hate kids. What channel? The kid's all, five, but we live in different states, so it probably wouldn't be the same. <laughs> Ben Affleck hangs up on him and switches channels and watches apes shoot guns. His eyes widen. He sleeps for three days, then goes back to work and bangs open his, his boss's door, even though it was ajar. Brian Cranston's all, this better not be something stupid, Affleck. That Gatorade stunt somehow cost the taxpayers $10 trillion. Ben Affleck's all, yeah, I was watching Battle for Planet of the Apes last night. It gave me an idea. Brian Cranston's all, whoa, whoa, you want to pretend those six hostages are a film crew shooting a low-budget science fiction movie in Iran? Look, Ben, a hostage extraction's like an abortion. Eight months is cutting it close, but it's the worst good idea we've got. Go for it. Ben Affleck's all, actually, sir, I was thinking we just get some apes, and we put human makeup on them, and we swap them for the hostages when the aliens aren't looking. Freaking hell, be airlifting in the zoo, but I know a guy who used to know a guy who's dead now who owned a monkey once, or owed one three bucks. <laughs> Brian Cranston's asleep. Ben Affleck flies to L.A. and enters John Goodman's trailer. John Goodman's all, hey, Ben, how's the CIA shit going? You get those hostages out yet? Ben Affleck's all, hey, you make latex masks. Help me get a fake science fiction movie not made so I can get through Middle Eastern security checkpoints. Also, uh, we'll take those hostages that you just mentioned, too, with us. <laughs> I kind of mangled that. Pretend it was good. John Goodman's all. Sounds like we're going to need one-liners. Let me call Ellen Arkin. <laughs> Ellen Arkin drives up in a Rolls Royce playing disco music. He's all, Michigan, oy vey, but first we'll need a script. Trust me, Iranian goyim's airport security golems are verklempt without a bar mitzvah. Time is of the essence, so they all hang out at Alan Arkin's mansion and drink Mai Tais and start reading from a pile of ten scripts or so, looking for a sci-fi one with Arabian Nights in it. John Goodman finishes reading one and shakes his head. That sucked. Why is it called Armageddon if it's just about an asteroid? And who'd be good enough to play that love interest? He throws it over the balcony, accidentally killing an elderly butler. Wouldn't it be easier and more credible if we just said we're making a movie about six people driving to the airport and getting on a plane? Maybe we're being idiots. Ben Affleck emerges from the bong room, coughing smoke from his red eyeballs and excitedly reading from a script, Fade in on a starship shaped like an oil well, landing on planet Irantuin. A couple of lasers fire randomly. Swish Dolly to an alien woman in a burka setting down her Koran saber. Woman, may the Farsi be with you. Alan Arkansas, eh, little dialogue -y, but I think we found our fake gefilte. And Affleck's all, fake? Fuck the hostages, let's make this thing. It sounds fucking awesome. Argo? Psh, 
Ah! <laughs> He's making Star Wars sound effects. They hold a press conference in a casino where CIA agents in Klingon costumes read the entire script before reporters clap dutifully and write the variety puff pieces that Iranian airport security personnel were so addicted to back then. Affleck flies to Iran and goes to the Canadian's house. The Canadian extends a hand. Hello. Ben Affleck tips him a five, goes, take care of my cabbie. <laughs> Brushes past him and introduces himself to the hostages. Hi, I'm a CIA guy. My name is uh, Ben Affleck. I'm here to take the one or two of you who might survive my reckless scheme home. Julianne Morsall, yay, I knew the U.S. government would come through as always. I'll go grab my bags. Ben Affleck's all, hang on, cupcake. He starts throwing scripts at all of them. Iranian airport security might know your faces, so you guys have to pretend to be Canadian shooting this dumbass movie. Also, maybe change your faces somehow. My movie roost won't really do jack shit for us there. The Canadian picks up the script and goes, A movie, eh? Who do I get to be, the handsome smuggler? <laughs> God, that's dumb. Ben Affleck's all, uh, Well, this is a movie about American hostages. I mean, aliens. So you're kind of just the concierge, however you say that in Canadian. Coffee guys all, Mr. Paycheck, with all due respect, how come you get to be the director? You look like a Coke dealer. We all look more like directors than you. Ben Affleck's all, look, a guy as handsome as we would, as me wouldn't be convincing as a writer, but you win an Oscar for writing. Steve Buscemi's all, why am I Mr. Pink? <laughs> <laughs> Julianne Moore's all, also, what if they ask where our actors are or lighting equipment? Ben Affleck's all, look, trust me, my mom was in construction. After they memorize the script and the ten revised drafts, Affleck types out while they all watch. He drives them through a screaming riot, then makes them walk through a crowded bazaar where old men try to tear them to pieces. Julianne Moore shudders, wrapping herself in her torn shawl, and goes, Why are we doing this again? It seems dangerous and unnecessary. Then Affleck says, Look, our story's not going to stick unless we... Uh, you know what? Maybe you're right. Let's just go to the airport. His phone rings. Affleck, talk with me. Walk with me. Brian Cranston's all. Good news, the Iranians have agreed to let all the hostages go. You don't have to do the wacky movie thing after all. Congrats. Come on home. Ben Affleck's all. Fuck you, sir. I'm responsible for these people and this movie. Tell the president I said fuck him too, and those plane tickets better be first class. He hangs up. They get to the airport. The smiling guards start to wave them through. Ben Affleck, trying not to laugh, is all. Hey, keep these. He gives the guards all the storyboards. Can't believe you idiots think these look real. One's all, uh, I speak fluent English. Do you not need these for your movie? <laughs> ben Affleck's all, uh. He pulls out some crazy foam and sprays it in the guard's face, then yells, Run, they're onto us! The guard chokes on the foam and wipes his eyes. Sir, please forgive me if I offended you. I merely wish to inquire. Ben Affleck punches him in the eye, then kicks his desk over. <laughs> Julianne Moore's all, Dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? Ben Affleck, I'll be all right. And he stands on the guard's face. Oh! U.S. hostages, shoot him! The guards all, sir, please take these complimentary frequent flyer mile gift bags and containers of hummus. We just wanted you to fill out the survey on our customer service. Ben Affleck shoots him with the BB gun, knocks over a vending machine, and throws an old lady in a burka at the guard. He's all, sir, if my mother here has offended you, I sincerely apologize. But Ben Affleck's already hopping into a police car. He flips the guard off and goes, Spacious skies, commie, I'll uh, see you around. Then screeches down the runway, sirens squalling, chasing after the plane. Just as it's taking off, at the very last second, he jumps the car into one of the turbines, blowing up the car and the plane. The hostages die. Ben is airlifted to a Swiss hospital by Iranian paramedics to have his forehead scrapes looked at. 
the Canadian's maid makes it to the border where a guard hands her a passport and a free I saw Argo twice button. <laughs> Welcome to Iraq. You won't ever have to worry about American stupid shit here. Meanwhile, back in Hollywood, the guy with the armistice right into a chair with a bag over his head. A guy in a suit rips the bag off and slaps him. The screenwriter's all, wait, so my script's not optioned? Who are you guys, CAA? The guy's all two-thirds right and shoots him in the head. Ben Affleck steps on stage and goes, the movie you've just seen showcased how two countries can work together to not make a movie. Three countries if you include Iran. He stares at us, then shrugs and walks off. The end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Argo! <laughs> <laughs> That's a little plug for the movie, free of charge. Uh, Kelly Wand, so as our resident Canadian, did you feel ripped off by Argo? Did you feel it suitably paid homage to Canada's role in this? Uh, as our res- resident Canadian, how did you feel about Argo? The Canadians seemed to buy into it because they clapped afterwards, and then they stopped heading for the exits when they heard Carter's voice, and then they applauded again. So... And it ended with a banner that said, thank you, Canada. Yeah, but he changed the ending because the friends of Ken Taylor, the prime minister, said, hey, you did more than that. And he bought their tickets and they didn't go to a bazaar. Well, they changed the text. There was a title card at the end that was added right. in response to that criticism. The, the actual narrative or what happened in the movie, I don't think, was changed. Right, but he did change it and he did wine and dine, Ken Taylor and his wife. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Plus, um, I think... It's defensible in this instance because it's kind of like he's doing a Charlie Kaufman. He's doing an adaptation, and so it's sort of like a smoke and mirrors movie about, like, when he's bending the truth, it's sort of like the movie in the movie. Mm-hmm. So that part didn't bother you as a, as a guy who, as a Canadian resident, you didn't feel uh, ripped off or like you'd been slighted. Well, uh, real Canadians didn't. Right. And, now, and I was kind of enjoying the movie. So, Well, as a moviegoer, uh, how did you find it? I liked it, and I didn't see either of Ben Affleck's first two movies, and I thought this one was really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I want to see Taken 2 so I can have that catharsis you're talking about. <laughs> it's not an experience I recommend following up uh, Argo with, with Taken 2. But it's really good because it's like a biopic, kind of, and we know what happens, but it's still... Um, everything looked really authentic, and the acting was really good. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm uh, from Argo. You're, what, you're pro-Argo. All right, Dingus, where do we put you in the Argo camp? Pro-Argo? Anti-Argo? How did the whole thing fit together for you? You can put me in the pro-Argo camp. Go ahead. Okay, I'm putting Dingus, Kelly Wand, pro-Argo. Dingus, how pro-Argo are you? I, I'm, you know, I'm very pro-Argo. I, I, mainly because I so loved the way the six house guests worked. Uh, I just thought that they were so great and gave such a great feeling of... Uh, Especially that there's a there's a there's a core of them that really get that feeling of that dread of death. Um, I think that uh, it gets a little too nick of timey at the end. <laughs> for my Come on, Dingus! I'm sure that it actually ended with a chase down the tarmac. Yeah, oh, well, it's, it's constantly like, who's? Can I get the phone at the last possible second? It just that's <laughs> happening over and over again. There's a little there's a little too much ego. 
uh, ego stuff, which which kind of nosedives it a little bit. Ah. But but I don't I don't want I don't want this to be totally green grass either. So I, I kind of like the the balance it strikes. I I'm not sure what to do with the Ellen Arkin stuff because I know that's all made up. But um, but on on balance I think it really works. And and I was constantly on edge during the movie. Mm-hmm. So. Uh- you mentioned, as far as the balance for me, the balance that I really liked about it was uh, how it early on sets the stakes brilliantly. Like that that embassy mm-hmm. stuff in the first part of the movie was just fantastic, like nail-biting, just, just great filmmaking, drawing on what we know about what's going to happen to these people, their reactions to it, watching it unfold. Uh, I think in a way you can't really watch that now without thinking about what happened in Libya. Uh, was that yeah. a month ago where the embassy there was overrun? Um, just chilling stuff. And and, and I got to give him props too, even before that, for that little comic book bit yeah. that Kelly Wan mentioned, for giving it some context. You know, it, it would have been easy to just say, okay, here's a movie about how Iranians are fuckheads and they're evil and we're going to demonize them and they're the bad guys. I mean, they were certainly evil Iranians in the movie, uh, you know, what the Revolutionary Guard, like, like what happened after the revolution was not sugar-coated or anything. But I do appreciate that it, it opened giving you some context for why the Iranians hated Americans. Uh, and, and that right there was a, a you know just a, a fair uh, and much appreciated way to start the movie. Uh, but then it establishes these stakes very well, and the balance that I really appreciated as the movie went on was balancing those stakes with this really kind of lighthearted Hollywood like, like comedy bits about how Hollywood is silly. Um, you know, it, it, there's even a line later in the movie where Alan Arkin and John Goodman are talking about farce and tra- history being farce and tragedy. You know, I really like how the movie played with that. You know, here's something really serious. Here's something really dopey. And even juxtaposing that ridiculous reading with the mock execution of hostages. I mean, that was kind of ballsy, and that was kind of the point of the movie, is look how silly this is, look how serious this is, and look how they fit together. Uh, I really like that balancing act a lot. Because um, they're both descriptions of the times. Like, they both... We were insulated. Because I didn't know... I was in fourth grade at the time, and I was a little unclear on why the hostages had been taken. So for me, the comic book thing gave me more context than I had when I was nine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was really all... You know, that that was the story of the Cold War is we would prop up someone and he would get ter- torn down and people would hate us in, in the wake. You know, that's Latin America, the Middle East. That's just kind of how all that worked. Uh, yeah. But that um, wasn't given to us as kids as information with that much context. They just went up. Oh, people got taken hostage. It's a bummer. Like, they, mm-hmm. didn't, they didn't tell me why at the time. Uh, okay, I mean, maybe, Kelly Wan, you should have uh, gone to better schools. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first to tell me that, Tom. Uh, I, so, Dingus, you mentioned that nick of time stuff. Uh, I did not begrudge that the movie in the least. I mean, it was so silly. You know, is the phone call going to come through? Is the little kid going to lay down the last strip of the photograph in time? Like, it really was so contrived to play as a nail-biting thriller, and I didn't yeah. mind that at all. Uh, so, so, Dingus, you, you brought that up. Um Obviously, I think it worked as filmmaking, um, but you were you were okay with that as well. Uh, yeah, because I was being swept along with the movie. But there's a little voice inside my head that kept saying, "Is he going to do this? 
over and over again? Are we because that <laughs> that these two guys getting to the phone at the exact last moment is such a cliche, right? And 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 assembling the photograph at the very last moment—that's sort of an echo of something like No Way Out. And and they weren't even kids; I think they were like carpet weavers or whatever. But but there there were just all. The, if there had been a couple of those, that would have been—I wouldn't have noticed it. But it felt like Ben Affleck was doing that over and over again, where where it's, it's at the very last second, and Too the cops are going to chase them right up until the very last <laughs> second, and and they're going to escape uh, at the very last second. But and it just was that upon that upon that. But right. I was so invested in in the movie, and I'm so—I don't. You know, this is going to sound a little weird, maybe. I, I had no—I had never read this article. It's a really cool little article. Um, so I—I I, I had no idea about this story. So I'm kind of grateful that somebody made it. I, I really like knowing this story and knowing that this existed. And yeah, it, it might not have been this dramatic. And it's okay that they, you know, when you're saying something that's based on a true story, that they're going to create uh, amalgams of characters, and they're going to they're going to take dramatic license, and that's why it's called based on a true story, and that's fine with me. Uh, but some of those nick of time things did, I, you know, kind of trigger me a little bit. Well, as Kelly Wan mentioned, you know, Kelly Wan, you brought up adaptation. It's clearly an adaptation. You know, that Wired article yeah. is great, and I invite people to, to look that up because there's a lot of great information about the actual events behind the movie. But if you had just shot a movie of what's described in that Wired article, it wouldn't have worked. I mean, you know, it's a great story to tell, but it's it's also it, it, there's an effective thriller here if you jigger that story and massage it uh, and, and change it a lot. Um, it's even evocative of the thrillers of the time. Like that was how that was the kind of like Black Sunday is was that kind of a movie, like a race yeah. against time. Well, you know, I th- I think you can you could make a, a, a dramatic story about those six people li- living their living those days and make it a character drama about those six people. But it wouldn't be this. This is a thriller, and I right. like the way this thriller comes together. Uh, Dingus, you mentioned the house guests. Uh, I, it did seem at, at the end of the movie they showed the actual fake IDs that were used for the actual house guests with the actors as they were made up in the movie. And boy, it seems like they took pains with the casting and the hairstyles yeah. and the mustaches. I mean, the, the hair and the, the facial hair and the clothes and the glasses in this movie were just amazing bits of work. Mm-hmm. And specifically, like you mentioned, Dingus, the casting of the six house guests. Uh, did any of them stand out for you? For either of you, Kelly Wan, did any of the six house guests stand out for you? You keep mentioning Julianne Moore. Yeah, but you know, that's just how I am. But <laughs> I liked the old guy. I liked how I, I liked the movie. I like how Ben Affleck sort of wound up in the background towards the end, and, and the six kind of had to, yeah, had to pull together and like the guy who was who was like their their weakest link had to like do the most work at the checkpoint. And that oh, was that cool. was Joe. Yeah, that was Joe that spoke Farsi. Yep. yep. Yeah. So it's like Affleck kind of let just stood back and let these other actors do it. And it's yeah, it's like the meticulous production design for the whole movie was was really impressive to me. Dingus, can I guess who uh, stood out for you? Because good lord, I couldn't take my eyes off of her. Go ahead. Man, Clea Duvall looked awesome. <laughs> I Didn't just she... love her under that mop of hair and with those glasses and her face and uh, the screen around. Yeah, man, I think I fell in love with her a little bit. I mean, I've seen her in stuff before, and I've really liked her, but I don't know why, but she was so fascinating in this. Dingus, what was going on there? 
I, I don't know. I didn't even know she was going to be in this. And when she showed up, uh, right before that, I'd seen, I'd, I'd recognized Roy Cochran, and I was like, oh, hey, okay, cool, he's in this, that's fine. And then I saw her face, and I went, oh, Cle- Clea Duvall's in this, and I, I just love that actress. And she was just not. I, I mean, she, I know she's an incredibly talented actress, but I'd never seen her do anything like this. She was great. And that scene where she's like combing her hair and she confesses that she's scared. I mean, I just loved little moments like that with the house guests and specifically her. Uh, man, she just makes a great 70s character. Yeah. Well, well, not only that, it's that those moments in the van for me where they're conveying this sense of, of the stakes and the dread of the fact that they are going to die and this might be the moment when they die. She is conveying that to an incredible I, I was just amazed at her, and, the, and then the guy who plays Joe as well, who's a guy named Scoot McNary, who is—that's <laughs> not his name, Dingus. How dare right, you? I apologize. <laughs> I'm going to call him Scott instead. Um, he, I just thought that so many of them, of those, especially those six, I don't know what they did. I don't know if they threw them in a room and made them improv for a while or what they did, but you just got a real sense of of, of danger, and you don't always get that in that kind of situation. A lot of times it comes off as campy or as here's one who's good and here's another that's good, but right. they were fantastic. And and I would I would agree with you, Tom. Clea, Clea Duvall definitely anchored that. Now, uh, so... Uh, Kelly Wands, Dingus mentioned having some reservations about the ego factor, which I want to hear about in a second. But you, you also pointed out that as the movie goes on, Ben Affleck kind of has to hang back and then let them take the forefront. Uh, overall, how did you feel about Ben Affleck? And did you think there was much of an ego factor? So, Kelly Wands, you didn't see uh, The Town, right? No, and did I didn't you? see Gone Baby Gone either. So Gone Baby Gone's a little different because he's not in it. But uh, wait, is he in it? No. No, okay, because he's not in it. But uh, the it's town, Casey, Casey is in it. Ah, right, yes, of course. Uh, but in the town, however, he's very much in it, and he seems very. There's a lot of ego there. He, he clearly wants the movie to capture his great, awesome De Niro-esque brooding performance. Blah blah blah, whatever. Uh, Kelly Wan, how did you feel that he? F- how did Ben Affleck come across to you in uh, Argo? Fine. I mean, I don't know what he was really trying to do, except just play a guy that he'd met a few times. Like, I don't know. But, I mean, the guy wrote his own book, right? So it started as an ego thing. Like, we just... he The agent was the one who wrote the memoir, wasn't he? Uh, I'm not sure. It's, uh, you know, Dingus cited the Wired article. I didn't know that Tony Mendez had done a book on it. Um, it was a book. There might be. Um but it didn't. Uh, it didn't I, I didn't know anything about the the memoir. It is it is funny to look at all those pictures that Tom was talking about, and then see the picture of of Tony Mendez at the end. Yeah. Well, Dingus, elaborate then when you when you say you mentioned some reservations about the nick of time bit, and then you also mentioned something about the ego factor. Uh, what, what did you mean by that? Um, I think I'm being overly harsh when I, when I say that because uh, I think Ben Affleck has come a long way as far as. Uh, his ability to act. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he's always been fine, but if you look at something like uh, Tom's favorite movie, Reindeer Games, or... um, Armageddon. Don't forget Armageddon. Or Changing Lanes. Uh, He's he's doing a lot of preening, and he's not doing that here. He's he's really being pretty simple, and um, he's got this flop head of hair and facial hair, and, and and he's just kind of being a lot of times in earnest and confused about certain things. Uh, so I think he's 
good in it, but um, because I so liked the house guests, I kept wanting more of them. But I understand why there's so much of uh, you know the one-liners about um, uh, why don't we give them training wheels and meet them at the border with Gatorade? You know, when that's uh, those things were like things that went on about. Canadian foreign ministers giving ideas and it wasn't, wasn't that little scene. And I, I don't really care about that and that's fine. It works out in the end. Um, but it is funny to look at all those pictures you referenced, which they, they, the casting is fantastic and the makeup is so great in this. Uh, and then you look at the picture of, of Tony Mendez <laughs> compared to Ben Affleck and, and you have that moment where Ben Affleck's putting on his shirt and he's got the perfect abs and everything. So <laughs> That's fine. I mean, see, I was looking at the shirt. So I was not. I was looking at the uh, closet door. I think here's where it started to bother me a bit. What you're talking about, Uh, as I'm watching it, uh, and as I, you know, there's this fascinating story unfolding. There's the twin stuff between what's going on there in Iran with the the house guests and what's going on at, at CIA with with Brian Cranston's character in the department and their struggles with State Department, and then. Oh, look, we're also going to have a little bit about how he's a tortured single father who's, you know, trying to come to terms with his child being away. And I felt like, God, why do we need this? Oh, Ben Affleck wants to act. He wants that sort of subplot. But I came around on that because I think there's a payoff for that stuff. What I originally thought was just, oh, it's kind of vanity acting stuff he wants to put in there. I kind of think that it it was earned with his exchange with Joe, where he sits down and he reveals his true identity and his family. Uh, I I feel like what I thought what what I thought I was watching was just vanity stuff. Really, did become a pretty cool plot point that I was glad they put in there. Um, Every movie though has that same fucking arc though. It's like the guys. It's and Die Hard. It's like Die Hard two, three, and four. It's like John McClane's fighting with his wife, and then at the end he's like, "Oh, call her." It's like, well, I didn't, I, yeah. they're, they're on the skids again. Next the, the goofy reunion at the end, I definitely could have done without. I mean, um, let's have the actress playing his wife come up and have a reconciliation. We, have, if it is, we haven't seen her before. Yeah, yeah. That I didn't need. But all the early scenes, like where he's having tacos with with uh, Alan Arkin, talking about his, their family, uh, like, I feel that had some payoff. I feel that that was justified being in there. But I'm with you, Kelly. I, I did not need that last scene where he reconciles with his wife. Just, well, I, I I was fine with that scene where he's lying there in bed and and smelling his son's hair. That was totally fine with me. Yeah. I like the part where he's taking apart the radio. Like that. That seemed convincing. Like he he really knows how to field strip a radio. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's uh, let's talk a <laughs> bit about the entire point. Uh. <laughs> Some of that Hollywood stuff. Uh, so I really like the alternate, the, you know, the, the juxtaposition of the goofy Hollywood stuff with the serious things. Uh, how did you guys feel about? Hey, let's get John Goodman and Alan Arkin and have them goof off. Uh, I liked it, but it made me want to see the actual movie. The way the way you made me want to see Taken Two, like what. Like on the DVD, can't we just make like a cheap? Version? What if that had actually happened, right? Yeah, and we'll have people who thought they were making it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they, uh, there are countless crappy sci-fi movies from the '80s you could watch instead. Yeah, but none of those. Like, did the screenwriter ever find out that he that his screen? Because he he should get a medal too. 
I know this is just maybe me, the writer. Well, from the Wired, uh, <laughs> from the Wired article, it was actually adapted from a fa- from a movie that had, I don't know if it had gone in, into production, but there was a movie called Lords of Light that was actually going to be made and then got canceled, and then the script was repurposed into Argo. Like there was more backstory that wasn't just a script that had been laying on a desk somewhere called Argo. Uh, it, was, yeah. it was based on no, it was based on a, a book by oh, Roger, Roger Zelazny. Right, yes, Dingus. <laughs> Dingus is right. And then, um, oh, and then, I've read that book. It's it, but it's Mendes. about the Hindu. Did it, you read that book? Yeah, it's a good one. Lord of Light's awesome. It's a great book. But, but Mendez renamed it Argo after the Argo. I mean, he did that, but that was so great to read that Roger Zelazny had been involved. So yeah, so Kelly Wan, we don't know if Roger Zelazny knows. We should, uh, we someone should let him know. If you He's know dead. Roger Zelazny, if you, oh well, in that case, we I bring Grim down. My bad. That's his best book, and it won the Hugo, which you wouldn't know what that is, but um, yeah, from Lost. <sighs> I I have to say that I really did not care for the Ellen Arkin stuff, um, mm. even though it it appealed to me on a base level because his lines were so funny. Uh-huh. Uh, but mainly because, um, and I know it was something that I, I love of that that Tom has influenced me about is is not really necessarily worrying about source material when you're watching a movie. Um, but when I was watching this, it, he just stuck out as oh, that's clearly made up. This is clearly this is clearly a character that didn't exist. We're just doing this for Hollywood cliches, and we're going to throw every Hollywood cliche at the screen and see if they stick. Uh, and while they appeal to me on a base level of of just laughing goofily, I, I didn't know how to place this against those images I saw early on. And I do like the way the balance works out. Tom put that really well early on, but I thought overall the Alan Arkin stuff just I don't know. It just it felt fake to me. Alan Arkin can be a little overbearing. I'll certainly grant you that. Yeah. I thought he was funny. Uh, oh no, I agree. He's funny. He's funny. He'd rather be home counting the wrinkles in his dog's balls. But uh, <laughs> see, regardless of tight semites for nothing, that's funny. I'm a, I'm an easy laugh, so I'll laugh at any of that stuff. But but. You know, as I'm driving home and and talking about the movie with my wife, and she says, "Let's say, you know, she loved it without reservations." But when she brings up that guy, and she's like, "I don't believe that producer would be sitting there waiting for the phone to ring." Um, and I and it, it occurs to me, that's not a real character. That's just something they made up. Uh, Dingus, you know the guy's name. I I can never remember this guy's name. Ivan Jelenko or Jelvin Ivanko or Ivalny. Jelko Ivanik. Oh, I can remember that. Joko Ivanek. So uh, I always liked seeing that guy show up. Uh, and he was like the, I guess, CIA department head or something. But I certainly enjoyed his early line where he's yelling someone's name and someone asks him, can you still not find so-and-so? <laughs> he says, no, I was screaming his name because I was fucking him. <laughs> I loved that bit. I love seeing that guy th- show up and just sort of throw out little bits like that. Well, he's uh, kidding, though, right? I don't think he was actually having sex with anyone at that point. Right. Like <laughs> and and even uh, uh, the the uh, Daily Edition guy or Kyle Chandler, what is that his name? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Kyle Chandler in his '70s wig, being a yeah. State Department guy or wh- wherever he was. Was he a White House? I forget where he was. Uh, but I loved he when was those the chief of staff were. wasn't he? Oh wow. Well, okay, that's a pretty big job. Um, and Brian Cranston, of course. It's great <laughs> to see job. him. It's great to see. Tom like, raises the guy's fake job in the movie. <laughs> that actor, 
was playing a character with a pretty impressive position at the White House. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that. I wonder what he made. Chief of Staff and State Department. I don't know. It, it could be a toss-up. The, the uh, medical probably on that fake job. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked all those incidental uh, characters as well. That that stuff was great. Uh, even though very very typical. Hey, here you're ineffectual uh, government position bureaucrat guys. Uh, oh, we need these guys for this. And it's seventies thing too. And the great little uh, bit where they play, where Brian Cranston plays them out at the end with the thing about, you know, if we wanted applause, we would have joined the circus. Uh, I Dude. like that. Remember? And then it's like a Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy thing because it's like circus. Ah, very good, Kelly Wand. Yes. Ooh, I like that. Nicely done. Well, Mom told me that uh, Ben Affleck moved all the desks in Brian Cranston's way, like right before that take. So it's like he had to move. He didn't know. Like they blocked it differently. So he was like, it would make him ex- his passage extra zigzaggy. How did your mom know this? Uh, she was fucking him. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three, Peter, pardon my freak, down with three, the pee, everybody. Guess you can't listen to this one now. Well, I hope it's good for you. <laughs> that was a good one, though. We haven't had a good one in a while. Well, it's good that we all liked it. I mean, I, there's there's not a lot to debate there. Just just a yeah, really smart, really yeah. well done. Oh, oh, a good three by three thing. Oh, yeah, that was a great one. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, let's do a three by three. I mean, it felt like you think of that. That's a question. Yes, Kelly one. Well, did you have anything more to praise about Argo? That uh, I think we would all recommend seeing it. Also, uh, I'm sure Dingus must have really enjoyed the Star Wars nods. Dingus, did you like seeing? I bet you haven't seen that many Star Wars toys since the last time you were in your office, where they're all lined up alongst your shelves. Um, mine are labeled, but they're still in their boxes, so I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> It was nice to see. I did appreciate, by the way, with all those little sci-fi toys, I liked the little historical nod they took of including a, a lunar lander in there, the little lunar module. What? There's a point. It's all these like sci-fi movie toys, but then he's got an actual lunar lander, you know, historical, actual science thing, not a sci-fi thing, in with his toys. That kid's going to get his ass kicked the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, let's do a three. Anyway. Uh, this week's three by three. If you listened last week, I gave a little uh, backstory for why Dingus is Dingus and Kelly Wand is Kelly Wand. And uh, I'm I dropped my pipe. <laughs> fan of nicknames. Yeah, and you get to hear me do a little English accent. Uh, it was awesome. Um, so this week, uh, the three by three is uh, your favorite nicknames from movies. Now, I should have clarified. Well, you know, we'll oh see. God, here we go. No, no, no. Why? Well, I, I just I, a nickname should be something that a character is referred to like more than once, not just like an insult. Uh, Kelly Wan asked if "walking carpet," for instance, was a nickname. Uh, I would say no, but you know what? Do with as you will. With Maybe this that's thing. what Chewbacca stands for in Wookiee, though, is "walking carpet." Could be, yeah, and Chub- and it might not be his birth name. Who knows? Chewbacca itself could be a nickname. Because Life Day. Well, Kelly Wan, let's see if this makes it on your list then, because you were first. <laughs> Is Chewbacca one of your, is it your number three favorite nickname 
Uh, well, that was his name, so his nickname was Chewy. Ah, right. Good point. Which is kind of a weird nickname for any organism that's furry, because you wouldn't want to chew fur. That would be gross. <laughs> but, uh, does he match the drapes? Uh, no. I know. Uh, what was Thank it, you. Tom? I forgot what we were talking about. Uh, so, Kelly, what would be your number three pick for a favorite nickname? Oh, yeah. I was going to say that Chick's nickname for me was Fuckwad. But now that's famous for making fart JKs about battleships, it's Fame Wad. My number three. That? Oh, that's, okay, go ahead. What's your number three? I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, you were you were uncutting me in. I wish I could fart right now. I'd fart in your face. Is that a quote from something? Or just a genuine desire? All right. Yeah, if I didn't go. Number three is uh, Mad Max, Rockatansky. So, but my actual number three is Rockatansky, not Mad Max. That's that's stupid. So Rockatansky is his actual name, isn't it? Isn't it Max Rockatansky? Yeah. See. So you're using his last name as his nickname. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right, that's an interesting approach. You said uh, that's what you said I could do. I thought. What was your rule? I wasn't really listening. You said it. Uh, no, if that, if you, if, does anyone actually call him that in the movie, by the way? Rockatansky, get in here. You know that character? Tina Turner. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I'll stop talking. I mean, that's probably best for now. I mean, I had no, I've seen Mad Max and, and Road Warrior many times. I don't, I don't ever recall knowing until recently that his last name was Rockatansky. But, I, you know, I've only seen Mad Max a few times and I was a lot younger and I probably wasn't paying attention. So I'm sure he's called that at some point in Mad Max, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Dingus, <laughs> what is your number three pick for a favorite nickname in a film or motion picture? Maybe you have a line from your pick. I sure do. Okay. Uh, have I got this straight, Jonesy? A $40 million computer tells you you're chasing an earthquake, but you don't believe it, and you come up with this on your own? The only Jonesy I know of is the cat and alien, and I don't think that was his nickname. I think that was his real name. So I'm not going to guess alien, Dingus. Okay, I think that's best that you don't. No, it's uh, it's the nickname for uh, Petty Officer Jones or Seaman Jones, um, played by Courtney B. Vance in The Hunt for Red October. <laughs> What's the nickname again? Jonesy. Jonesy. Yeah, it's like using Rogatansky, except I'm not just calling him Jones. <laughs> Why do you like this nickname, Dingus? Because, uh, uh, okay, so Captain Bart Mancuso, played by Scott Glenn, as we that all know. That is not anyone's real name. Bart that's Mancuso? A good, that's, that's a really good nickname. That's way better than Jonesy. <laughs> Did Tom Clancy really come up with that? Bart Mancuso? Yes, Bart Mancuso. Captain wow. Bart Mancuso. Bart Mancuso. Yeah. <laughs> I can't that stop saying it. Bart Mancus. <laughs> there was a, uh, um, yeah. there was a, I think it was called Danger Death Ray. There was an Italian James Bond ripoff uh, called Danger Death Ray that I only know of because it was lampooned on Mystery Science Theater 3000. But the lead, the, the spy's name in there was, <laughs> Bart, <laughs> was, okay, I'm going to get this out. Hold on. I'm going to get this out. Laser King. Laser King. No. The spy's name in Danger Death Ray is Bart Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was as funny to you. As... <laughs> Come on, Bart Fargo. Bart Fargo. <laughs> I'd have to see him to see why that's funny. Like he's a dwarfish person. <laughs> right. 
being a prisoner. Uh, you know, Kelly Wan, you run around with the name Bart Fargo and see how you like it. <laughs> and try to be also like an international spy with the name Bart Fargo. That's a spy name, though. It might not be his real name. Uh, all right, so I'm sorry, Dingus. So uh, Bart Mancuso is the, the <laughs> lieutenant commander or whatever of the Red October. Go ahead. He's They call him a captain because it's a ship. All right, so yeah, the captain of the Wait, of the uh, what say he was. He's, he's a lieutenant commander. Lieutenant commander, okay, thank you. Anyway, he's 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 running the USS Dallas, which is the submarine that's tracking the Red October. Another another and, alien reference. And 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 Seaman Jones is um. <laughs> this is the worst. <laughs> I mean, that's sorry. I meant to say Seaman. Seaman Jones is teaching um, Seaman Beaumont. <laughs> oh, fuck. None of this is happening, is it? How much of this is real? And how much is just me on acid right now? Be honest. All of it. Anyway. Seaman what? Gibbons? Seaman Gibbons. This is horrible. <laughs> Start all over. Oh. Okay. Jones uh, Jones is teaching uh, Beaumont how to um, how to use sonar, and the the whole idea of the of their relationship is that Beaumont is the idiot who doesn't know how sonar works, and he's us, and and Courtney B Vance is the character telling Jones you know what a crazy Ivan is, and so he can tell the audience what a crazy Ivan is. What's you know, Dirty Sanchez? <laughs> you know, exactly. Right. Um, but what, what's cool about this nickname is that at one point. Um, uh, Courtney B. Vance's character, uh, Petty Officer Jones, comes into the command center to show to say, "Look, I think what the computer tell- is telling me is an earthquake is actually some some weird anomaly that's man-made, and and I could get in real trouble for telling you this because it could ruin our mission. But I really believe this is what's going on, and I just love the way Scott Glenn plays this captain because the captain is listening to this guy, and he says, okay, Jonesy, just tell me what you have to say. And he does this whole thing about Jonesy. So this computer's telling you this, and you've just come up with this? And then the guy gets all nervous, and he's like, well, I've got all these things. And um, and Scott Glenn just says, look, it's okay, Jonesy, you sold me. So... <laughs> I'm afraid this might set us off on, the wrong, on a wrong tangent again, but... Oh. Um, Again, he gives them this this reward after Jonesy comes to him with this information that could really ruin them all. And one of his rewards is to give him a Hollywood shower, which is Kelly wants me one of those once. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, in the in the book, I think that's just in the book. Though. The Hollywood sh- Hollywood shower is like five minutes of a hot shower, as opposed to what you on the submarine you have to take a quick cold shower. But anyway, the the point is that that Scott Glenn's character is is this captain of this submarine, and it's indicative of how he treats his subordinates that he doesn't call him by his official name, but he just calls him Jonesy. You know, he, I just I just really grooved on that in watching the movie that, that this guy is just named Jonesy to the captain. And not even named after the cat and alien. He he might very well have been because, as we all know, <laughs> the ship was named after. Hunt for Red October is in like 1990, so you oh, know. yeah, yeah. 
Bart Mancuso could have watched. <laughs> Not Bart Fargo. I can't believe. Come on, Bart Fargo is so awesome. I don't know what the deal. That's, you know what? I'm naming my next uh, Guild Wars Two character Bart Fargo, and I'll bet it's taken. What do you think of that? <laughs> That's your victory. Is you don't get to use it because it's a popular <laughs> name. And you go, yes, yeah, suck it. Damn right. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a quote. You ready? This is a famous quote, and we're going to see if you know the associated nickname. Ready for this, Kelly Wand? What? I mean, you, know yes. how to, you, you know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Uh, Name the movie Kelly Wand or Dingus. Intolerance? <laughs> it's, a, it's a famous line, too. And the, uh, the it, thing of, it's said to Lauren Bacall. No, it's said by Lauren Bacall. Kelly Wand is right. For, and to have and have not, a Howard Hawks adaptation of a Hemingway novel. Um, and she says it to Humphrey Bogart, whose name in the movie is Frank. <laughs> <laughs> and for whatever reason, I actually found this out, throughout To Have and Have Not, she's calling him Steve. Now, he calls her Slim, and that's fine. You know, she's a slim woman, and she even responds and says, ah, I don't like that nickname, don't use it, or whatever. Like, that's clear. But she keeps calling him in the movie Steve. His name is uh is it Frank McLeod or is that from another room? Anyway, his, his, his name is not Steve, and she keeps calling him that, and no one ever addresses the fact that she's calling him Steve and that's not his name. It's a nickname. Uh, and what I found out, double-checking this to make sure that I was remembering it correctly, is that that was apparently a little in-joke that Howard Hawks put in there, because for whatever reason, and I don't know the reasoning behind this, Howard Hawks' wife would call him Steve, and he would call her Slim. So that those were their pet names for each other. And he just decided to put it into this adaptation of a Hemingway novel. Um, but it reminds me a bit of that that sequence in The Ice Storm that I really like, where Tobey Maguire and Christina Ricci are just calling each other Charles, even though it's not <laughs> either of their names. Uh, so I just love that little bit. And I love, good Lord, man, Lauren Bacall is just so amazing and self-assured in that movie. The, the movie is hard to watch. I'm not a big fan of it because it just seems like a kind of a pale Casablanca ripoff. Um, and he is so cool. But, God, she's just amazing. Lauren Bacall back then? Holy cats. Um, mm. No, Kelly Wand, you don't agree? Not a Lauren Bacall fan? Mm, she's fine. She's but, fine. I mean, they were just flirting in RL. So it was kind of like just, it was like watching Shanghai Surprise with Sean Madonna, wasn't it? already <laughs> it's just like that yes yeah it's just watching their foreplay but better written uh kelly one you know the movie silver streak yeah it sounds like right up your alley Love i don't it. know if you remember this there's a time one of the seven or eight times that uh that gene um wilder falls off the train and has a misadventure somewhere else son of a bitch Yep, exactly. One of the times he falls off, he takes up with this wacky old lady who yeah. ends up flying him in an airplane. Steve. Yeah, she keeps calling him Steve, and he even corrects her and says, that's not my name, but she's crazy, and she keeps calling him Steve. Like, His I real name's if... George Caldwell. Yeah, very good, Kelly Wand. Yeah. So I wonder, is that uh, Arthur Hiller doing a uh, to have and have not reference? I thought he was just doing an old woman with Alzheimer's reference. That's what it, Kelly Wand, there's no, why can't it be both? Because she, yes. <laughs> right. But it's like she's the wacky crop duster old lady, and then Capricorn One had the wacky male old crop duster who always called, who always was telling Elliot Gould to keep his goddamn head down. Remember that guy? I'm afraid I don't. I remember. Oh, you don't remember it? That's how they get rid of the helicopters in Capricorn One. He, like, he, he unleashes. <laughs> 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 I am the worst person ever. Uh, 
he unleashes the crop dusting shit. Yeah, like fuck makes um, the... Blinds the helicopters? Yeah. Right, right. Crop dusting! Yeah! Win. Take that, government. So we've seen crop dusting. That's going to be a three-by-three. Three. Crop dusting in Looper, North by Northwest, Capricorn 1. When's it in Looper? Independence Day, too. Yeah. Come on, Looper has a whole rocket crop duster thing. It's a future... Crop dusting in the future, Kelly Wand. Uh, wait, is that the one where they ride the subway through the Earth's core? So I don't understand your objection with them flirting in RL, because usually when a couple gets together in RL, it it yields no sparks whatsoever when they get together on screen. Once Ugh. they when, once they consummate, it kind of deadens it. Right. But they're flirting. The two of them flirting is usually pretty hot. Actually, yeah, you're right. It's That's where they, I think they flirted doing those characters and then they fucked. So you're right. It is great. I'm an idiot. It was pre it was pre coital, you're saying. But the guy who wrote that script is like, wait, he's fucking her because I wrote the lines that got the both horny and I'm sitting here with nothing. Got it. Hollywood Great. man. I know. It's again, it's just Argo. <laughs> Kelly one, speaking of Hollywood, what is your number two pick for a favorite nickname from a film or motion picture? Uh I originally had Forrest Gump, and I found out that's the guy's name. So I went with, uh, do you remember the guy's nickname in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Spicoli. Oh! <laughs> uh, Victim Judge Reinhardt. Character? The, uh, no, the one who impregnates uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh. Oh, the Weasley-looking guy who was in The Resurrected, that yeah. H.P. Lovecraft movie. Let's say, oh, Ramon. Damone. Damone. <laughs> that book, by the way, by Cameron Crow. The book's pretty cool. It's it's way more uh, it's edgier somehow. So wait, anyway, yeah, go ahead. You don't remember what I'm talking about. You don't remember where uh, Phoebe Cates gets him back for uh, bitching Jennifer Jason Leigh with the abortion? Uh, so she, I do not. Refer- so he spray paints on his car. Oh, and that's his nickname. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do not remember. It's, it's a, a little nickname. Prick little prick she goes he's a little prick that's what he is and Jennifer is all no it's whatever fuck that guy and she's like no he's a little prick he's gonna pay and then he goes out and then Phoebe Kate spray painted a little prick on his car door and then I was at a diner with this chick in LA like I think, oh god where's this gonna go well and then that guy came in and she goes oh look it's little prick and then he heard and looked over and nodded at us and then sat down and I went oh see he does it's a, it's a it's a catchy nickname so it stuck yeah all right. No? Well, it's, uh, an insu- it's an insult. Yeah, it's an insult, not a nickname. Uh, so therefore not... Yeah, but no, but that's what I'm saying. It's like in the diner, he responded to it, so it had gone from insult to nickname. Ah, so you jumped the movies, went into real life. Kelly Wand, I'll give you this. I like it better than your number three. It started as tragedy, and it ended as farce, Tom. <laughs> I think it's the other way around. Dingus, okay. what is your number two pick for a favorite nickname, and can you maybe give us a line from the movie? These are too hard. <laughs> That's what she said? Oh. <laughs> All right, the nickname is Red, and here's a little bit of dialogue from the movie about the nickname. It's short for Redwood. My last name's Wood. What's your first name? Bill. Tom. That makes no sense. If his first name is Bill, why are they calling him Red? 
Well, what what starts it is the uh, is the guy says, "What's the name of your establishment?" It's Red's Corner Bar. Are you red? And he goes, "Yeah." Do you dye your hair? Because the guy has black hair. And then we go into that. So there's no explanation for the nickname, which is one of the things I like about this one and my number one choice. So I give up. I don't think I've seen this. All right, you guys haven't seen this. It's from a movie I've never done before called Midnight Run. Pete. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kelly one, did you see this coming? Uh, how come nicknames are always the last names the same, but it's never the first name? Like the, they never go like, oh, Bill Ding is the guy's name. Change lines. It's like a very good point. But getting back to Midnight Run, if I may. <laughs> I saw once in the theater 30 years ago, and now it's like a fucking paranormal activity demon that haunts me every Sunday night. Spewing <laughs> from Dingus's malignant jackal's hoof lips. At least when Tom brings up Jaws every week, you've seen it, but you haven't seen this. Come on, Jaws is great. There's no. Uh, okay, I'll. You know what? I'm going to watch Midnight Run after I watch VHS this week, and then I'll, I'll care. So, who is Red? Red is just a random diner owner? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, this is the this is my, one of my favorites. Well, I can't really say that since all of my all of the scenes in Midnight Run are my favorite scenes. But uh, but J- Jonathan Mardukas and Jack Walsh go into this bar pretending to be FBI agents, and they're just in this rural bar out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, and they're trying to scam the place to get some money so that they can get some food and some stuff to treat Jack Walsh's ulcer so they can jump on a train, and uh, and. Charles Grodin pretends to be an FBI agent and scams them with the litmus configuration. And the dude who owns the bar is named Red. And there's no reason for him to be named Red. And there's no reason really for us to take the time for Charles Grodin to have this little bit of dialogue with him. But I just love this. I love this thing. And I've loved it so much for so many years. Because uh, I remember reading Charles Grodin's book about... Uh, or There was a great... <laughs> I know, I know. I'm nuts about this movie. There's, there's I got to flip right to the Midnight Run Chapter 12. Oh, so good. Oh, God. He's talking about it so much. Uh, Wendy. It's going to be a long one tonight. I don't know what that means. Not very. Uh, you guys talk. Sorry. That's perfect. Anyway, I just remember him talking about the, the shooting day in this bar and working with the extras, and then this bar owner is named Red for no discernible reason. And I love the idea of of a nickname, and there's really – you have no business asking because you're a stranger what my nickname is and why is my nickname. But this guy's <laughs> named Red, and he's got black hair, and it's his bar, so why you name that? And the guy's like, you know, it's short for Redwood because my, my last name's Wood, you know. I think it's funny if it makes you feel better. That is good dialogue. And, and the and the guy's like, "What? Your last name's Wood. What's your first name, Bill?" <laughs> so anyway, I, there. I just love I love nicknames that don't have an explanation. Kind of like Tom's with Steve and Slim. Right. Wait, so in the book, did you learn that that scene was actually based on a real life conversation? No, in the in the book, uh, in Gr- Charles Grodin's first book, which is uh, it would be so, it would be so nice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Why is Dingus's life so interesting to me? It really is, though. I quit. You go ahead. You no, no, no. Next? <laughs> Just tell me the title of it. It's called It Would Be So Nice If You Weren't Here. Go ahead. <laughs> How many are there, Charles Grodin books? There's at least two. Okay. <laughs> and they both are about Midnight Run, like, exclusively? 
<laughs> yes, that's all they're about. Does but he in- talk about King Kong at all? Let me borrow it. <laughs> I'm going to laugh at you, but then I'm going to borrow the book and then tell you it was actually not bad. He talks about the ape, but not about doing the movie. <laughs> he gets so stepped on in that movie, by the way. Yeah, but then it's just his hat. Or did I remember misremember that? I remember reading a review of King Kong when I was a kid, and it only talked about how bug-eyed Charles Grodin looked right before he was going to get stepped on by the ape. He always had his teeth out, too, like an ape. Like, he was always, like, snarling and grinning at the same time in that movie. And then he did Midnight Run. I always thought in the cantina scene in Star Wars, which I don't think we talk about enough, uh, the guy in the cantina tells Luke, or he thinks you're ugly, and then... That line's not in the movie. Right. Uh, Dingus, who did... uh, It wasn't your son. Didn't we have a friend who who showed his son Star Wars and uh, his son had a name for the cantina scene? Yeah, but uh, I I don't remember what you're talking about now, yeah. So, yeah, uh, one of our friends showed his son Star Wars recently and his son made an observation about the the restaurant party scene. (laughs) (laughs) It was a party? It was a restaurant party scene. Han Solo was at a party. (laughs) Son called the Cantina, seeing the restaurant His party friend scene. Rito, they were at a wild party <laughs> with guns. George Lucas retrofitted the restaurant uh, party. Is too crazy. He should have shot. Well, you know, kids don't know what bars are. They think it's a restaurant party. That makes sense to me. I love that. Oh wait, that's what the kids said. Yeah, yeah, the kids said it was. I was making fun of you all this time. Like, no, I didn't. It was a little kid who saw Star Wars for the first time and who doesn't know what a cantina or a bar is. So naturally, he calls it the restaurant party scene. All right, my number two pick for a favorite nickname does have an explanation. The nickname is Testicles, and the movie is Roadie, where the lead character's name is Jimmy Testagross, uh, played by Ron Eldard. Uh, Roadie, I love, love, love Roadie so much. I think Dingus is also a big fan of it. Kelly Wan, of course, hasn't seen it. Roadie is Young Adult, the Charlie's Theron movie, which Juno uh, writer <sighs> Diablo Cody wrote. It's Young <laughs> Adult Done Right. Uh, it's about a middle-aged guy who's a roadie who comes back home and he's meeting friends he hasn't seen in forever and uh, catching up with his mother and it all sounds very maudlin but uh, roadie is so good and Ron Eldard is so good in it and he runs into uh, Bobby Cannavale who plays one of his childhood friends who calls him Testicles and he is so annoyed at this nickname that has endured since high school you know he hasn't been back in his hometown since high school and here he's meeting this guy who's calling him testicles just unabashedly full voice referencing him in public places as testicles um and one of the things i love is not only ron eldard's reaction how much he hates being called it but the ultimate reveal about where it came from uh that nickname and who came up with it and what it says about the characters uh but just this idea that you you are so annoyed when your childhood catches up with you like that um is really amusing in Rhodey. Uh And it has a meaningful reveal. So there is my number two. Dingus, I thought you might pick that one. I was worried you were going to scoop me on testicles. <laughs> uh, get it? <laughs> I almost... I'm like every almost, night. I almost cupped you on testicles. Right now. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, why get us out of here? What is your number one Dingus. pick for a uh, nickname in a movie? Testicle is my nickname for Bob Hoskins. That's sweet. My number one is uh, E.T. And, what, and what's the nickname? That's the, his nickname. His real name is not E.T. They wouldn't call him that on his world. It's probably okay. like Larry or something. 
His real name's Larry, and they call him E.T., which is kind of street. Because like, like, it was a white suburban area, but E.T., right? it's got some bling to it. And, and he does adapt to it. He ends up referring to himself as that. When he, yeah, and that's the movie that made me want to be an alien. <laughs> the rest is history. So I'm going to grow up, too. Yeah. You are now, actually. Because what is your number one pick for a favorite nickname in a movie? Top that. Yeah, Dingus, how can you top that? I can't. It's about box office, by the way. That's how you, if you win. All right, here's a little dialogue from my number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max, you uh, stop calling me Max. Why, Max? It's a good name for you. Uh, Rushmore? Max is his name. Yeah, oh, that's that right. Be... We can we can choose names. That's right. So yes, Rushmore. Yeah. Wait, why can't we choose names? How come we don't? How come we just get told what our name is? You can never know. If you give it to yourself, that's your internet handle or your pseudonym or something. That's not your nickname. But why can't name you is something it? you get from someone else. Why though? It seems because like a... it's not. That's not. That's just the rules, Kelly Wand. Them's the rules. All right. So no one's going to help me on this. Fine. Fuck you all. Kelly Wand, you will be awarded a nickname when one. A suitable one is found for you. You made a nickname out of my whole name. I did, didn't I? That's your nickname. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so let's see, Dingus. Uh, I don't know. I don't know this movie. I don't think I've seen it. All right, you probably haven't. It's a movie called Annie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that uh, Robert Fort? No, what's his his guy who keeps his sidekick who keeps calling his secretary to say where he's staying? That's Tony Roberts. Yeah. Tony Roberts is his name. Is that him? Yeah, the the actor's name is Tony Roberts. His name is in the movie is Rob, um, but for for some reason it's never made clear. They they call each other Max throughout oh, the movie. I love that. Uh, but mainly he calls Alvy that. He keeps calling Woody Allen's character Max. He's like, "Stop it, Max. It's going to be okay." And and at one point, <laughs> in the in the long walk where they're talking about the record store and, and Jewy Jew, um, uh, Alvy Singer goes, "Stop calling me Max." And and Rob totally brushes them off and says, it's a good name for you. And then later on, you have a scene where they just call each other that. He's like, oh, you should have done Shakespeare in the Park, Max. I did that, Max. And <laughs> it's never explained, and and I don't really care that it's not explained. I, I know that there's some stories about that's what they, they were friends, and they always called each other that, or maybe Woody Allen chose that as, as uh, what he was going to go with his acting name at some point, or his showbiz name. I, I don't care about any of that. I just love that that extra layer of character relationship that you get when a couple characters have this thing that they do to each other and nobody knows why the hell they're doing it. So they call each other Max in the movie. That's great. I like that one. Annie uh, Hall was a nickname, too, wasn't it? Dingus, was it? <laughs> uh, for the movie, yes. Or was it where she lived? <laughs> she lived on Annie Hall. It was her freshman dorm. <laughs> uh, all right, my number one pick uh, is a movie that I uh, I rewatched to see. Now, did I get this right? Sure enough, I got it right and decided I really like this movie a lot more than when I first saw it. Uh, Kelly Wan might put up some resistance on this. Dingus won't know what the heck we're talking about because it's not in his wheelhouse. Uh, the character's name, the lead character in this movie, is named Anita Lesnicki. However, she is never called that. At one point, another character calls her Lesnicki. Early on in the movie, on a psychiatric evaluation form, we actually see written that her name is Anita Lesnicki. But throughout the movie, she is called, and she's a, she's a teenage girl, an awkward teenage girl, she is called Needy. 
which oh, is God. short for Anita. So, Kelly Wan, why are you going, oh, God? Is this uh, Jennifer's body? Yeah. Uh. So, uh, Amanda Seyfried, I'm not sure how to say her name, uh, is the lead character in Jennifer's Body, which most people think of as a Megan Fox movie. Uh, and Megan Fox is a in the movie. She's a prominent character. But the movie follows Amanda Seyfried's character, who plays, and her, her name is Needy, and it's about her relationship to Jennifer, played by Megan Fox. And the nickname is, you know, it's a reference to her actually being needy and insecure in her relationship to uh, Jennifer. Uh, and I, I love the sort of endearing way that everybody calls her needy, even her boyfriend. Um, and I really like Jennifer, uh, Jennifer's body. So, Kelly Wand, you're, is it just because you have a, a hate on for Diablo Cody? Uh, it's just not that good. <laughs> All right. In general. She's just uh, funny looking in an average way. Not good. Uh, I think one of the things I like about Jennifer's body is it's, uh, the director's name is Karen Kusama. Um, and she did Girl Fight with Michelle Rodriguez. And then she did Aeon Flux with Charlize Theron. And then she did Jennifer body, the Jennifer's body, this Diablo Cody script. Um, and I like that she's doing these genre movies with a, a strong feminine twist uh, in all these cases. And, and specifically, Jennifer's Body is typical sort of horror movie kind of stuff. But it's it's got all these weird threads through it. And one of them is, the, the main one, is the relationship between these two girls. Uh, there's a horrible movie that I saw this year. I forget who directed it. But for some reason, I want to see this movie called Moth Diaries that had Lily Cole uh, who's uh, a gorgeous model, but she's kind of funny looking, and she plays this kind of demonic, ghostly girl, and it's about her friendship with another girl. Uh, and Moth Diaries is like a horrible example of how to do what Jennifer's body did, which is this relationship between these two girls, uh, and it twists it into a, a monster story. Um, and I, I like the, uh, I like the, you know, it's also about this weird stuff. The 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 premise is. What if your best friend becomes a demon? You know, and, and that's kind of a lot about like like girls fighting and becoming upset with each other and the competitiveness of it. You know, that it's kind of like a metaphor, I think, for all of that stuff. They're uh, already demons. Okay. Well, the movie jokes with that. You know, when when Needy tries to tell her boyfriend, "Hey, Jennifer's evil," the boyfriend says, "Yeah, well, I know," and she has to explain, "No, no, I don't mean high school evil. I mean real evil." Uh, there's there's cute little stuff like that in there, and I really like too. Karen Kusama has a much better sense for um, as a director. She's got more of an appreciation of tableau. Having sat through Taken Two, which is just all just edited to hell and back, just quick cuts here and there. Karen Kusama, when she did the fight scenes in in uh, Aeon Flux, she has more of an appreciation for tableau and just showing sort of a layout of, of things. And there's these great scenes in uh, Jennifer's body where you have just Amanda Seyfried running in slow motion in this ridiculous prom dress with her hair just done up all crazy, and I, I think she thinks it looks good. Uh, and, and it's just Karen Kusama knows, hey, that's kind of a cool-looking image. You know, Amanda Seyfried, needy, running to save her boyfriend in a ridiculous prom dress. And she knows enough, you know what, let's just shoot that for a while and show it. It looks cool. Um, so I, I like the direction of Jennifer's body. I love the two actresses. Megan Fox is really good. I really like Amanda Seyfried. Uh, and it's got some clever threads in it, the, the plot stuff. And the dress. And the dress. It's a nice, um, weird dress. I don't know why she was called Needy. Or did you say why? Well, I think Anita... Uh, yeah. It's probably yeah. short from Anita, oh. but also it's a statement on her relationship to Jennifer. 
uh, her, their, oh, yeah. her sort of uh, dependence on Jennifer. Yeah, but her boyfriend would call her that. Yeah, well, it, it, that's the thing about nicknames, you know? <laughs> Other people will call you that. Hey, that evil chick you hang out with, I'm going to call you the same thing when we have sex that she calls you. And that's not going to be weird at all. <laughs> Whatever. Next. We don't know if it came... We don't know where the nickname came from. There's not that much backstory. There are, by the way, Kelly Wan, there are two uh, Jennifer's Body graphic novels that you should go out and pick up and read. Uh, I got to read them? <laughs> Just they have pictures, them. yeah. Mothman was a nickname, wasn't it? Uh, I think that was that entity's actual name. No, it was Injured Cole, and then Mothman was his super name. Like what? Spine. Oh, you're talking about comic books. I thought you were talking about that thing that Richard Gere saw. No, that's what I'm talking about. That's the guy's <laughs> name in that. What? He fucks with Richard Gere's car and then leaves him alone again. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, in Jennifer's body, when she gets these weird powers because she's a demon, she she can cut herself and it heals up. She says, "That's some real X Men shit right there." Yeah. What do you think of that? Diablo Cody dialogue right there for you, Kelly Wand. It's a stupid power where you have to hurt yourself to show the power. There's a scene where she's burning her tongue too, and her tongue burns and withers and then heals. What do you think of that? Why is it even burn? Why is it just not burn? She holds a lighter up to it. No, I know, but I'm saying if she was really cool. Well, she's not impervious to damage. It just heals up quickly. She gets killed. She gets, well, you know what? I don't want to say. I don't want to Because spoil Needy gets her blood in her, right? Or something. Nope, nothing like that. I'm not going to tell you. You know what, Kelly Wan? See Jennifer's body again and then and then come back and talk to me. Because I remember not really being that crazy about it. Uh, but I, I, I think I'm coming around. And Wait, without I, having seen it again, you just suddenly like it three years later or whatever? Well, I didn't remember it making much of an impression on me. Uh, I remember thinking it was okay, and there's an extended... I don't know what the scenes are, but there are a couple of restored scenes in, like, a DVD release. Uh, I can guess what they were. Um, <laughs> well, there were scenes that I was watching, and I was like, I don't remember this scene. Uh, so I think there's some stuff in it that got put back that was probably cut for length. Um, but yeah, I like Jennifer's body. So, All right, runners up. Uh, we did have someone say, and uh, he kind of spoiled it, that we have to, that we are dead to him if we don't mention uh, the dude in Big Lebowski. So there, mentioned, dispatched. Uh, other runners up. <laughs> I thought that was just his name, because he signed the check with the hut. Yeah, but why would you disqualify that? Yeah, Kelly, well, and I'm sure that Max Rotowski signed his checks Rotowski as well. Say it again. What was the name? Rakatowski. Ratatouille. Other runners up. Anyone? I want to hear what the listeners said. Kelly Kelly brought up the name Larry, and I always think of uh, Fletch calling Gina Davis's character Larry in Fletch. And, and it, there's never any explanation for that. I just can't imagine her name is actually Larry, but I just love the gag where he's on the phone in Utah, and he goes, love your body, Larry. Uh, when I was in graduate school, a buddy of mine had this, uh, the, his terminology was that anytime you met a hot girl and you then found out that she had a boyfriend, the boyfriend was the Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the original Larry that that term is based on? Kelly Wan, at some points in our lives, we're all Larrys. Mm, the uh, more you know. Here's one that I don't like because it's a little obvious, but it's kind of famous. Um, you know, the ruthless crime spree couple... And he calls her Honey Bunny. Uh, eh. Yeah, it's kind of cute, you know, from Pulp Fiction, but whatever. Uh, uh, yes, anyone? Runner up? I like I like Gay Perry a lot. 
Oh, from uh, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Very good. You, you still going by that? Are you still gay? <laughs> no, I'm knee deep in pussy now. <laughs> uh, I rewatched another movie because I remembered this little sequence from this. I love, love, love this nickname, and I want to give it to someone, but I don't know who to give it to. Uh, I don't think it would be appropriate for me. I can't pick it. But there's a, there's a movie from uh, the 90s called Nobody's Fool, and it's based on a Richard Rousseau novel. Uh, Ooh, I like I like that. It's got a great flash. A great f- oh, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, you know what? I wonder if that's what it's most famous for. It's Melanie Griffith just very briefly raising her her sweatshirt, and yeah, wow. <laughs> but damn, I just I know, I wasn't expecting that. No, but that that particular moment is like that what? Is, yeah, exactly. Uh, and and, and his his reaction too. He is so flummoxed by it. I mean, he's the he's the eyes of the audience basically at that point. Uh, <laughs> uh, but is that no, the one where she's like the wife who's dumb? She's Bruce she's Willis's dumb. wife. She's not dumb. So Richard Russo writes these really funny sort of slice of life in a small town novels, and he tends to have an older character flirting with a younger, uh, sort of not promiscuous but uh, sexualized younger character. Like I think it's a. Another uh, faculty member in, a, in a, a novel he wrote called Straight Man, uh, but in Nobody's Fool, it's his boss's wife, basically. His boss is played by Bruce Willis, who's really funny, by the way, in Nobody's Fool, and Melanie Griffith is Bruce Willis's wife, and they flirt a lot. Uh, so during one of the flirtations, uh, he basically says that she should dress more sexy uh, when she's helping out as a secretary, and she just raises her shirt. And, does, and I don't think it's CG, by the way. I think that was real stuff back then. Oh, yeah. What the shirt? Uh, but Nobody's Fool uh, is basically just two hours of Paul Newman puttering around in a small town. And by golly, that's not a bad thing to do in a movie. Yeah. Paul Newman is just so amazing. Uh, and I hadn't seen a Paul Newman movie in forever. Uh, but there's a point where Paul Newman's sidekick, like his buddy that he works with in, in Nobody's Fool, is a uh, rats. Philip Pruitt Taylor. No, Taylor Pruitt Vince. Dad gummit. Dingus, can you help me out here? Philip Pruitt Vince Taylor. Pruitt Taylor Vince. Is that right? Scully. No. Dingus, do you know his name? I think Kelly got it because now I'm, all I'm thinking of is, is that Taylor Pruitt. Pruitt Taylor. Guy. I think it's. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's not Lou Pooger. Yeah, it's Pruitt Taylor Vince, I believe. Like, you'd know him if you saw him. He plays Paul Newman's sidekick. Uh, and, and they work together on odd construction jobs. And the, throughout the course of the one of the things that happens in the movie is that Paul Newman uh, is reuniting with his son, and he brings his son, who's a grown man, along to help with the construction crew. And the son calls Pruitt Taylor Vince Sancho. <laughs> I just love that. He keeps calling him Sancho. And at one point, Pruitt Taylor Vince, who's a little jealous of their relationship, even says, why does he call me Sancho? I hate it when he does that. But I just love that as a nickname for someone. Uh, and it sets up that great sort of Don Quixote thing for, for Paul Newman's character. Hey, uh, uh, was so Jaws a nickname? Do they ever real... call him that? They never call him anything. That's true. But maybe the shark thinks of himself as Jaws. Because his real name is Bruce. Right, and his nickname is Jaws. Could be. Yeah. Uh, that, are, that choice... Oh, go ahead, Tom. Well, there are the, the ritual naming scenes, kind of like nicknames from Animal House and Full Metal Jacket. Like, those are kind of famous nickname bestowal scenes, I think. Uh, and you guys call me Francis and I'll kill you. Remember that guy? Oh, yeah, but isn't that his name, though? Psycho? Psycho? Wait. Lighten up, Francis. Oh, right, right. <laughs> wait, wait, but do they not want them... 
does he not want them to call him, him Francis, which is his real name? Right. No, he does. He just doesn't want them touch any homos touch my shit. I'll kill you. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Uh, it, he doesn't care what they call him. Kelly Wand. Please. I think I got him except with Chainsaw from Summer School with Mark Harmon, whose name was Francis. Also. Sorry. See, that's a common mistake. Fascinating wand. Uh, other runners up. We have five oh, readers. Yes, Dingus. I can't believe Kelly Wand didn't choose short round. I thought for sure he was going to. Ah. I didn't think he's not round. <laughs> That's a good point. But but the the uh, the testicles and then what Tom just said about somebody about about not wanting to be called something right. uh, reminds me of Tim Robbins in Bull Durham when um, uh, Ke- Kevin Costner is constantly calling him meat, and at one point he says, "Why does he keep calling me meat?" <laughs> that makes me think of Jaffo from Blue Thunder. Anybody know what Jaffo stands for? Daniel Stern's character in Blue Thunder is called Jaffo. Kelly Wan, do you know this one? Ja, no. Uh, just another forward observer, because that's like one of the like throughout the movie. He, I think he has a cap that says Jaffo, and Roy Scheider says you're Jaffo or whatever. And then we find out. I think Daniel Stern dies nobly or something in the movie. I don't really remember it, but we find out as he's dying nobly that Jaffo stands for just an or- another forward observer. So mm-hmm. there you go. All right, so from our readers, Paul Weimer, who participates normally, uh, regularly, we appreciate that. Paul says, hi, guys, I fear my three choices are way too obvious and may overlap with some of yours, but here goes. And I can, by the way, spoiler to Paul, none of these overlap with our picks. Paul's number three pick, Ducky, John Cryer from Pretty in Peak. Uh, Is that not his, I guess, Ducky? Yeah, that can't be his real name. Uh, I never understood it, though. Like, why is he called that? Because of his hair? Oh. I don't know. Uh, speaking of pink, Mr. Pink, Steve Buscemi from uh-huh. Reservoir Dogs. Uh, number one, The Dude, Jeff Bridges in Big Lebowski. Uh-huh. So now we have that one amply covered. Uh, and he also says, I had wondered ever since I started listening to the podcast where Dingus came from, and I figured there was a story to it. Uh, best regards. Uh, so, uh, Paul, thank you for that. Uh, if you listened last week, which I presume you did, you know where Dingus came from. The mystery is now solved. Nathan Schubert says, one of my favorite movie nicknames is for Perry Van Shrike, Val Kilmer's character from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, a.k.a. Mm. Gay Perry. Dingus, you have been scooped by Nathan Schubert. Good job, Nathan. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that was very... Uh, uh, Sebastian Dunn. Oh, actually, here's a good one. Harmonica from Once Upon a Time in the West. Ah, uh, it's a good one. Yeah, Harmonica is ah. a cool-sounding name all by itself. It's about Fuck. rights. But in the context of that movie, makes it a clear number one. Uh, Sebastian's other two picks are... I don't know about this one. Kelly Wan, what do you think of Sebastian picking both Gandalf the Grey from Fellowship of the Ring and Gandalf the White from Return of the King? How do you feel about that, Kelly Wan? Uh, well... well the part that's his name's the same. He just changed his wardrobe. So you could just say he has a new nickname every time he switches clothes, which I guess is cool, but, uh, you know. Kelly Wan, Sebastian Dunn does have a runner-up. A couple of them, actually. Uh, what do you think of this one? And, I, Lord, this is beyond my ken. Uh, Myth Randir from The Two Towers? What is that? Uh, Stormcrow. That's Gandalf's other name. Yeah, it's Gandalf. Myth Randir? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the name of Aragorn's sword. No, no. Anything. His name, no, his sword's, uh, Dingus, what is it? It's Mithrandir, duh. That's okay. Aragorn's sword today. All right, never mind. Right. Isn't it Glamdring? No. That's sword. Glamdring is David Bowie's second album. You guys Nar- are terrible. Narcissist. <laughs> Orcrest? Uh, Sebastian Dunn also writes, I now understand why you folks keep bringing up the same movies for your 3x3 three three picks. Great 3x3 three three picks often need that great movie to live in. I'm still not going to watch Zapped, though, he says. So what do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Uh, I'm saddened. <laughs> Did he, um, I think he might have been the one who emailed us late last week for the, for the prop of Harmonica as well. Well, he does end his email by saying, quote, I'm pretty sure I could go through the entire list of past three-by-threes and come up with picks entirely from Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm, Sebastian, we defy you to do that, especially for uh, three-by-threes like Best Use of CG. And uh, what other ones? Angel Eyes, too. Angel Eyes was uh, Jason Robards. Ah, good. Uh, And also uh, uh, Fairest Cat Scares. I don't think that it for once a fairest. What was it? The least cheap cat scares, or we had something like that. Uh, Scott McNeil says, "Oof, this was tough for me. At least I didn't take the easy way out and pick Reservoir Dogs. So take that, everyone else." Uh, Scott McNeil's number three pick, uh, and he begins with quotes: "Stop, no names, keeps from getting too familiar," and that comes from Columbus and Tallahassee in Zombie Land. I like that. He says, I couldn't remember any nicknames in Shaun of the Dead, and this is my second favorite non-grim zombie movie. For his number two pick, Scott's quote is, so instead of calling me dragon in your tongue, you'll call me dragon in some other tongue. Don't know, it's uh, Draco in Dragonheart. Scott says, more fantasy movies should have this sort of self-awareness. Then finally, uh, oh, I scooped Scott on this one. Scott says, the quote is, that name sounds like royalty. Are you royalty? And that is from Private Leonard, Gomer Pyle Lawrence, in Full Metal Jacket. Seen an episode of the old TV show. <laughs> Illuminates some of the choices Kubrick makes in the film Full Metal Jacket. Wait, how does that, how do you, how are you scooping him? Because I already brought up Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, yes. but you said the other guy scooped Dingus. But Dingus Kelly Wan, time, right, time right. is not linear, Kelly Wan. You saw it just like me. It's true. <laughs> That's all I learned from that movie. Uh, Jack McGregor says, I have a quote for you. Oh, I like this. Uh, uh, okay, I'm going to try this with the accent. Uh, there's only two people in the white stripes. Oh, that I meant it to. Uh, this is, of course, the follow-up to one of the many belittling nicknames Malcolm Tucker uses for people in In the Loop. Uh, <laughs> they're mainly directed at Chris Addison's character. For instance, Fetus Boy. Uh, And I think they are only ever used once, so it might not count. But along with his swearing, they show how Malcolm is truly a creative bully. (laughs) Thank you, Jack. (laughs) That is always welcome. uh, That's a great Uh, quote. Yeah, it's uh, White Stripes out. Hold on, there's only two people in the White Stripes. <laughs> Love that you bit. You never have too many in the loop references. That is so true. Oh, good. It's Lord. the opposite of Midnight Run, in a way. Uh, so thank you for participating in the 3x3. Kelly Wand, what 3x3 can listeners participate in next week? Okay, would you rather do a boring one or a hard one? I would yes. rather do... Yes, exactly. I'm with Dingus on that one. What did he say? <laughs> I think we are both in support of either of those picks. Oh. Um, all right. Well, this one I, th- I don't think you'll hate, but maybe I'm wrong. 
Um, and I kind of try and make a little, leave it a little loose so Tom can do his usual. Well, I uh, used uh, the Dewey Decimal System. Uh, uh, three best transformations. <laughs> Sounds a little familiar. Uh, so three best transformations. Uh, do you need to elaborate any? It was going to be sequences, transformation sequences. But then I thought I'd give Tom a little more general room to wiggle in. So like Optimus Prime into a Volkswagen <laughs> Beetle or whatever. Like I could pick that. Yeah. Or Starstream into a boombox. Yeah, or... Um, like how Michael Corleone transforms. No, that's terrible. Forget that. Transformations. All right, you so, gotta. Oh, what? 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 What I do? What's wrong? Nothing. I, I, I just. It, are you? Are you talking about character transformation? I mean, how is this different from transitions? Just so I know. I. I, I don't do that one. Transitions. Uh, it's different in that it's not uh, characters. <laughs> It's looks. Okay. So, but it doesn't have to be a transformation sequence. It can be like Alderan transforming into asteroids. <laughs> does that does that help, Dingus? Yeah. <laughs> I tried to use an analogy you would understand. And with okay. Tom, it would be like the asteroid in Armageddon being transformed into smaller asteroids. Ah, but it started the movie that way. They're already smaller. There's the Texas-sized asteroid, it's and the then Connecticut there's the, the pre-asteroids. Right, there's the one size of Maryland. Right. right. <laughs> there's the uh, Akron, Ohio one. Uh, all right, so if you listening have any ideas for what to do with this 3x3, please join us. Uh, send in your picks to 3x3, that's 3x3, at quarter2three.com. You have to spell that part out. Uh, and we will read your submissions on the air. We would love to hear them. Uh, also, next week, we will be seeing Seven Psychopaths. Ugh. It's the name of the movie. Not necessarily people we're seeing. Uh, join us for that. Kelly Wan would rather see Paranormal Activity 4, so I'm guessing he's going to see both that and Seven Psychopaths next week and can tell us a little bit about how awesome Paranormal Activity 4 is. They both have numbers in the title so that we can do both. One of them, though, the seven is spelled out. The four is the Arabic numeral four. So, uh, Is it a sequel to seven? You know, we'll find out. Yeah, let's see. Uh, so join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian R- Rakitansky. <laughs> it's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Was the Omen Damien's nickname? Tom, do you have a Tahunga note? Let's see. My Tahunga note, yeah, it's pretty long. I'm not going to do my Tahunga note. Uh, <laughs> All right. Say All right. That I, I, I like I, that. I, <laughs> too long. No. <laughs> yes, I have I one, but no. I have one, but it, it involved me almost getting punched by a guy at the supermarket because. I said something that sounded like I was hitting on his girlfriend, and it wasn't that at all. Wait, were you in the vegetable section? Because then I can kind of understand how things spiraled out of control. <laughs> I was in the checkout line, and she had offered a comment. Ma'am, how about, about these melons? Do these melons? No. Be... <laughs> Sorry. She said something. Yeah, I was there with a friend of mine, and I was pointing out a DVD, 
and she saw us talking about the DVD, and she said, oh, I saw that movie. I didn't really like it. And so I, she just wanted to talk, so that's fine. I was talking to her about the movie and why she didn't like it. And I was like, What well, movie was it? A Cabin in the Woods. All right. Um, and as she was talking, her boyfriend, who had run off to pick up something that they needed, uh, showed up next to her and put it down on the, the belt there. And I said, pointing at the movie, because she said she didn't like it, I said, Are you with her? And I was, I meant <laughs> about his opinion of the movie. And he immediately thought I meant, like, is it okay if I hit on this chick because are you with her? Uh, and he started to explain to me, yeah, I'm with her. And I meant, oh, no, I'm sorry. She said she didn't like this movie. Are you with her on that opinion? So that's my Tahonga note is that I'm an idiot. Okay. No, because <laughs> yes. you wouldn't ask. You wouldn't go, hey, can I hit on this chick that you may be with? You would just tell you if you if you are catching up with your girlfriend, she's in line holding your place, and you need to run and get uh, you know uh, milk or whatever. And you run and you get it, and you put it down there, and you come back, and she's talking to some dude, and the dude says to you, "Are you with her? Aren't you gonna think? What are you gonna think, Kelly? Uh, if uh, she goes off with him, she wasn't mine to begin with, was she? <laughs> That's true. If you love something, set it free. Yeah. Kelly, Wan, what's your canonic note this week? Oh, I went into the train, SkyTrain, on Thursday morning. I was to go yes. And the doors open, and like a shitload of kids just pour onto the train, psychotically chanting in perfect unison, seat, 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 seat. Like 70 kids, and they all like scram with these seats. It was like those are the game. It was fucking awesome. Wow. How'd you make it out of there? I don't know. It's never boring. It's always some But they didn't take hostages, though, so there's that. No. Do you, Dingus, what's new in Winnetka? Uh, nothing since I'm in Phoenix right now, but I did take a flight here with Mika Sloat. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? With who? Mika Sloat, the oh, right, star right. of Paranormal Activity 1. Did you tell him I said Kelly Wand? What? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if you ran into Mika Sloat, what would you want to know from him? Who, me? Yeah. What question would you have for Mika uh, Sloat? I wouldn't want to be on a plane with him, because if the demon follows you wherever you go, you don't want to be in the air, too. It's exactly. There. But that would be a cool twist, because like, planes have those cameras on them in every seat, right? Or wait, those are trades. Never mind. Forget that. <laughs> I didn't know that about airplanes. I thought oh, I was learning something. I got phone and camera mixed up. Sorry. Uh, so I watched Paranormal 3 because I thought we were going to be doing Paranormal 4 and it really tapped into my fear of grandmas. Thank you, Canada. 